0: What's up INC Live listeners, it's John aka The Martian here, and we're about to talk about the UFC 270 card going down real soon, Uh, but we gotta settle up some debts from the last UFC preview show, UFC 269. I said that if Tai Tsuyivasa and Juliana Pena both won, uh, we would do a shoeie for you, and Carl already did his, and it's time for me to settle up that debt, so we got ourselves a black cherry white claw, we got ourselves our shoe here. And here goes nothing. Cheers. There we go. Got a little left. I'll finish it off. There it is. So, Not going to be doing any more of those bets. That's a one and done type of thing. And uh, let's get right into that UFC 270 analysis right here.
1: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show. My name is Carl Bainbridge, and I am joined as ever by the more to my wise, the Vives to my Mortimer. It's John Marsh Emma MMA. John, thank you very much for joining us. And the big question everybody wants to know, what did that chewy taste like? I thought it tasted a little bit
0: better than what you thought. You know, you seem to not enjoy yours too much. I might be doing more in the future, but it was, uh, it was fun to do that little challenge. Uh, thank you to Juliana Pena and Ty Tovasa for uh, making us do that fun little challenge uh, for you guys on the podcast.
1: And thank you very much as well for tuning in to our our 2021 uh, recap of the year. Um, I have to be honest, that was just something that we just put together absolutely last minute. We wanted to try and get some kind of content out at the end of December. And what, 500, 600 people ended up watching that one. I don't know how long they watched it for, but a big thank you to everyone who had tuned in for that one.
0: Yeah, that was definitely fun talking about the all those fights, recapping the whole year. It's crazy to think about all the fights that go down in just one year's time. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's crazy that uh, like Poirier and McGregor two happened last year. Because by the end of the year, you've watched five hundred fights, and you're like, that fight happened last year. So um, it's fun to you know recap those fights.
1: And the great thing is, we have another twelve months of fights ahead of us.
0: Yep. Action packed schedule. We had a great card last night. Calvin Cater put on an amazing fight against Giga and we had another great pay-per-view this week. Uh, I'd say good pay-per-view uh, coming up this week. Two great title fights, but the rest of the car looking
1: a little lackluster. I'm sure we'll get into talking about that a bit more in the future. Certainly so. Uh, Just a little bit of spring cleaning for anybody who wants to try and get in touch with us on all of our social media platforms. You can see those all at the top of our screen there. So we are available on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as our Patreon page, all using the same title, It's Not Cage Fighting. So if you would like to support the channel in any way, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell so you miss none of our content, as well as getting involved in all of our social media platforms. Uh, John just sort of touched on it there. We are going to be talking about UFC 270, our first pay-per-view of 2022. And I have to say, John, I give the UFC a lot of credit in certain areas in regards to how they produce these pay-per-views. And I think the back end of 2021 was absolutely fantastic. So you had 268, 269, the Abu Dhabi show, which was far better than any of us expected and we're sort of getting a bit of a, a bit of a hangover from that. Because yes we have a big heavyweight title fight that a lot of people are looking forward to. There's intrigue around the trilogy and the flyweight division. But outside of that. Rather lacklustre.
0: Yeah, a bit top-heavy on this card, which they tend to do every now and then. Um, obviously, the main event is a fight we've never seen before. One of the most interesting heavyweight uh, title fights we've had um, in the past recent years. So I think everyone is really, really focused on that. And then the rest of the card is kind of taking a back seat. We're, of course, getting the trilogy between Moreno and Figueredo. And it's the th- their third fight within 13 months. So I just feel like there's not a lot of excitement there. Um, And the rest of the card is taking some injury hits. But looking at the prelims, looking at even some of the fights in the main card, a lot of like UFC unknowns, a lot of fighters coming off the Contender Series. I mean, if you look at the prelims, it's seriously like... Uh, like 90% fighters that are coming off the contender series or have less than five fights in the UFC. So a lot of unknown names on this, on these prelims and definitely not the same caliber as card as we were talking about for the past three, as you mentioned, those had like incredible prelims from top to bottom. Uh, we're a little bit, you know, lacking with this one uh, in terms of like a quality undercard.
1: I think what this feels like. This feels like the sort of pay-per-view the UFC would do pre-pandemic.
0: I thought you were going to say a McGregor card or
1: something. Well, the McGregor cards, they usually stack it up with, um, it's sort of guys who I think the UFC are quite high on, but they're not really established big superstar names. So you'll get people like, like a Macy Barber, for example, or someone of that sort of ilk, which they would put on the prelims and just try and give some of the McGregor rub. But it sort of reminds me of, say, like, can you remember like UFC 234 when you would have like, nadia Kassim versus montana de la rosa on the main card it's that sort of show mm-hmm.
0: yeah that pay-per-view took some hits too though right it wasn't like whitaker and adesanya supposed to headline and it got canceled like the day before was that the one i think it was a few hours before Oh, uh, really that's right yeah the day of or something uh uh whitaker had to pull out because like of a hernia or something so um yeah but i understand what you mean by that one that's a good comparison
1: you did touch on the prelim fights there. You can see those on our screen right now. As you mentioned before, no rank fighters, a lot of unknown names. There are a couple of people, though, that may be somewhat relevant to sort of like the everyday fan. We're going to be focusing on some of those in a little bit more detail. And the guy who is headlining the prelims is one of those, Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, he managed to get himself a victory up against Dustin Stoltzfus in his most recent outing. But for a lot of people, he is the guy who gassed out and got submitted by Fluffy Hernandez.
0: Yeah, and you know, we should definitely put a little disclaimer out there. This card could change around a little bit. This fight yes, might end up yes. being a main card fight because um, I don't think the official order has been published. The UFC's website isn't even updated from like a few days ago. So um, we don't really know the full order of this card. But um, yeah, definitely Vieira looked improved versus uh, He His card, he looked a little bit better, maybe even a striking a bit better as well. And this is a grappler versus grappler matchup. Terman, uh, his bread and butter is his jiu-jitsu so he's probably going to run into a, br- a bit of a brick wall here uh, against Vieira and um, I think Vieira should get this one done the odds have him as almost a three to one favorite so the market is kind of thinking that he should get this one done as well
1: I was very impressed with what I saw from Vieira up against Stoltzfus because if you listen to any of the interviews that Adolfo had going into that fight he was very open about the sort of psychological impact of what happened against Hernandez he even admitted that He was a little bit nervous going into the fight against dustin and you sort of touched on it there i thought for what was essentially a kickboxing match yes he used a submission to get it done in the end but for what was basically a kickboxing match i thought his striking was fairly solid
0: yeah, I mean, it seems like he really took, uh, you know, his training, his striking training especially seriously. His cardio got better. So maybe that loss is just what Vieira needed to, you know, get humbled a little bit to start really working on his some of his weaknesses. And I think we're probably going to see a continued uh, improving inversion of Vieira here. Uh, maybe he even gets like a, the first fight on the main card or something because he, he could be, you know, I wouldn't say a star, but he could be an interesting, uh, you know, Top ten fighter at middleweight in the future.
1: Yeah, Wellington Turman two and three in the UFC. Most recently, he beat Sam Alvey, even though he had two points deducted in that fight. Interestingly, <laughs> though, never been submitted.
0: Yeah, uh, he got knocked out pretty pretty viciously back-to-back fights by uh, Andrew Sanchez on the feet and then Bruno Silva on the ground. So his chin has taken a hit uh, recently, uh, did scrape out that victory over Alvi. Um, but Alvi will be around. He's not going anywhere. For some reason, Dana White loves Sam Alvi, even though he's lost like seven fights in a row. This guy is just going to keep getting fights. So
1: get used to seeing Sam Alvi. One fight that you wanted to focus on in particular was a fight that... Originally it featured someone who was supposed to be on the main card. Short notice replacement, it's been dropped back for now. Back onto the prelims. You wanted to talk about Tupuria versus Jordan?
0: Yeah, I mean this is definitely the fight that stands out. Um Probably the uh, the number three fight on this entire card underneath the two title fights. Um, and even though it was supposed to be a better fight than this, it was Taporga versus Mosvar Ivlaev, uh, two undefeated guys in the UFC. It would have been an incredible fight to see them go against one another. Two undefeated guys straight up. I don't think either of them have lost in their MMA careers, and the odds were were neck and neck for that one. Unfortunately, Evloev pulled out and we got Jordan filling in. Um, it's I think it's a somewhat exciting uh replacement just because Jordan. Jordan is obviously coming off that big winner over Yule with that that big kick at the end that kind of went him uh, sent him a little bit viral. Um, but looking at the odds for this one, I mean, Taporia almost a five to one favorite. So you're seeing that the matchup just isn't expected to be too competitive, and for for justified reasons, Taporia is just going to be on another level in the grappling. And if he takes the path of least resistance with going to those takedowns again, his jiu-jitsu going, it probably is going to look like a pretty easy night at the office for Taporia. But maybe we get to see some fun striking exchanges. Jourdain, a really exciting, high-action striker. Um, so hopefully the fight is a bit entertaining instead of you know completely one-sided.
1: We are primarily a grappler. However, three of his last four wins have come from strikes, including against Ryan Hall. And I know that Joe Rogan gets a lot of criticism from uh, MMA fans. His commentary during that fight wasn't his best, I have to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't completely blame him because a lot of the mma community is kind of deluded about the fighter that ryan hall is um and he's not as good as people want to make him out to be um he did bounce back against Derek Miner recently but you know that fight it shows what um anybody in the top 25 would likely do to ryan hall um so i actually enjoyed watching that from taporia there
1: any other interesting names to look out for on the prelims
0: Man, honestly, not much. I mean, I'd say the only other one uh, is Hione Barcelos versus Victor Henry. Um, Barcelos has been, you know, a surging bantamweight for a while. Suffered a minor setback in his last fight, losing a close decision to Team Revalyev. I thought, I definitely didn't think he lost that fight. It was either a draw or he won. But, you know, the judges, uh, they're going to judge as they typically do. And uh, Victor Henry is uh, making his UFC debut. A bit of a confusing matchmaking decision here. But I think this was put together on short note. Um, and it was supposed to happen maybe last week or the week before that um, but you know Victor Henry seems like an exciting fighter um, a very high action Tony Ferguson style fighter um, so he, he's probably going to bring it and he's probably going to make this fight exciting so um, that's really the, the one other fight that stands out in the prelims what about you do you have any anything you're looking forward to
1: I'm curious to see what we see from Kay Hansen, mainly because Kay Hansen was one of those fighters who on the back end of 2020 she was sort of seen as one of, sort of like the media darling of the UFC. they usually, mm-hmm. time and again, they like to bring out these young, pretty, attractive girls. And if you remember, during the Venom launch, she's there alongside Brian Ortega, Aljamain Sterling, and I feel like the UFC <laughs> was really trying to frame her as sort of like the next big thing, the new Paige Van Zantas were. She took over a year out of action. I think there's been a lot of management issues relating to that. And she's finally back in action, first fight on the prelims at full stop i'm curious to see what sort of improvements she's made in the 13 14 months since she's been aware
0: yeah that is an interesting one there um she's facing uh, jasmine jazz davidius coming off a win on the contender series and that should be you know a, a competitive fight hansen kind of got robbed in her last fight if i recall correctly um i think the majority of people scored that one for hansen and then uh, mckenna got like some lucky takedown with like 60 seconds left and, and won the, the fight entirely so yeah, very interested to see Hansen back. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, outside of that, a lot of you know fresh contender series fighters, uh, new fighters. So I don't think the prelims are going to do too well in terms of like ratings and perception by the fans.
1: We do have a familiar name opening the card, though. It's the name Nurmagomedov, but not the one that many people are thinking of. It is Saeed Nurmagomedov, no relation to Khabib. He's making his first main card debut, and he's taking on the guy who. A lot of people have been very high on for a long time, but he just hasn't managed to break through as of yet. It's Cody Stammen versus Saeed, Uh Saeed making his first appearance since, I believe, um, over a year since he last appeared in the UFC. I think he was on one of the Fight Island cards. And Stammen, after a tough run of opponents, is this finally the chance for him to bounce back?
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight, and uh, you said it's not the one you're thinking of. Obviously, we're all thinking of Umar Nurmagomedov, uh, the true prospect in the Nurmagomedov family. Uh, even you know, even if they're not all family or whatever. Uh, there's Usman um,
1: as well in Bellator.
0: Yeah, true, but you know he's kind of stuck in limbo over there. He's got to get over into the the real organization. Um, but I'm excited for Umar. Not so excited about Said. Honestly, I think said, um, his offense is just. Weird. I mean, he throws uh, literally one spinning technique a minute, maybe more just spinning backfists and kicks and just a lot of spam offense, I would like to call it. Um, if you watched his fight against Barcelos, it was a close fight, but Barcelos was able to hit those takedowns every time Saeed went for a spinning backfist or through some, you know, stupid, crazy kick of some sort, and you know, I really lost him the fight there. And I think the same thing is going to happen again here. Uh, you got Cody Stammen, an All American wrestler. Um, he is comfortable in the role of of wrestler and blanket. You know, he, his fights aren't the most exciting at times but he's the plus 180 underdog uh, in this fight, and I think that that line is just completely wacky. I locked in a bet on it last night. It stood out to me right away, and I think that Cody Stamen is going to you know, wrestle this guy to a decision victory pretty easily. Um, I think that Saeed's going to give him all the opportunities in the world to hit those takedowns, and uh, it's just a matter of can Staman hold him down and keep that top game going to win two out of three rounds, and I think he's going to do it. So um, I like the wrestler to pull off the upset here. I don't think Think it's going to be the most exciting fight i think uh, a saeed win is definitely going to be more exciting than a stamen win but uh, i'm here for the 15 minute uh grappling clinic for cody stamen
1: i was very concerned by what i saw against barcelos because you think obviously with that surname number that the guy is going to be epic grappling and i think he's fairly solid in some areas but i did see times in the barcelos fight where uh, he only was managed managed to get him down on the ground and Saeed wasn't really doing anything. I think he pretty much accepted the position, which I think was somewhat concerning from his part, especially against a guy like Cody Stamen, which, as you mentioned before, very good grappler. Th- Stamen's a fascinating one for me in terms of how he fights because he's got that quintessential wrestle-boxer style. Like, if you look at him, you compare him to, say, like, Chad Mendes or Michael Chandler. Very stocky, low to the ground, and he uses the threat at the takedown to try and set up his striking. But the striking style he uses, it's not big power punches in the way that Chandler does. It's it's almost like a karate style. You'll see him throw the odd spinning kick and that sort of thing. And I think maybe he lacks a bit in power, which is a big reason why his fights go to a decision. Like on paper, he's got a lot of strengths going for him as a fighter.
0: Yeah, and good points that you brought up for him. Um, I think he I think he has like some sort of record or he's on the verge of some record for like most male decision wins in a row or something like that. Um, you know, all five of his UFC wins are decisions. Um, you know, the Song Dong fight was a pretty controversial one. I think that was that was quite a draw. I think there's a good argument that the statement won that fight. Um and uh yeah, I mean, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Wrestle boxer style, lands, you know, some kind of soft punches. But, uh, you know, I think he's going to keep uh, Saeed honest with those punches on the feet. He's going to set up those takedowns. And, um, you know, he just can't get stuck on the feet. Because if he gets stuck on the, the feet here, uh, it's the big cage. Saeed's going to have a lot of room to move around, to be elusive. And uh, he could be chasing Saeed down all night. So he's got to really time those takedowns. Uh, but if he does, I think, like I said, he's going to look like a real live underdog here. So I like uh, A bet, uh, you know, a pretty medium-sized bet on uh, Cody Stamen here.
1: I think if there's one thing Saeed needs to do, it's to make himself seem like the bigger fighter. One of the things I've noticed with Cody Stamen is when he's fighting opponents who he's a lot more physically imposing than he can dominate the fight. We saw that when he fought Brian Kelleher. That was just a straight 30-27. But when you see him against guys who make themselves big, who are either physically big or make themselves seem big, his offense becomes a lot more limited. He's willing to sit on the back foot. He's a little bit more cautious, and I think Saeed could potentially do that through throwing these sort of like big spinning techniques. It's a high risk sort of strategy, though, because if he does make one mistake, Stamen could easily latch onto one of those legs and take him down.
0: Yeah, I mean, good point. Then looking at the size here, Saeed two inch a height advantage, six inch. Reach advantage here. Uh, Stamen only has a 64-inch reach, just despite being five foot six. Um, so he's got some pretty short arms, and you know he's going to be losing that battle of the arm, uh, of the jabs, the punches here. So um, yeah, I mean, I think the the game plan is going to be pretty clear from Stamen here. It's just a matter of can he get those takedowns or not.
1: So I'm guessing you're going to be leaning towards Cody Stamen Does he get that first oh. finish?
0: Oh hell no, 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 no. 15-minute blanket. Uh, you know. Grapple fest incoming from Stamen here. All American wrestling, baby.
1: I have to say, you look at the fighters who Cody Stamen has fought in the UFC. I've just got a list up here. Algemane Sterling, which actually he was winning a lot of grappling exchanges against Aljo, which should show you how good mm-hmm. his wrestling can be. Song Yodong, Jimmy Rivera, and Mirab Devalishvili. That is a murderous raw bantamweight. Yeah, and
0: even his wins, you know, not the flashiest, but like uh, Tom Dugansoy, uh Brian Kelleher, he beat, uh, you know, pretty pretty easily, like you said. And we saw Kelleher last night show off some good grappling skills. Kelleher is a much better grappler than he is a striker, and Cody just made that fight look easy. I mean, um, it was not that their natural weight class was at 145, but still, he's, he's a really good grappler. And, uh, you know, my position is clear on this one
1: now we're not going to be talking about fight number two simply because we don't 100 know what fight two on the main card is going to be as john mentioned before at the start of the show there's a lot of chopping and changing in regards to what's happening with this card it's a little bit cursed now the original plan was this was going to be greg hardy taking on alexey olenek so a classic striker versus grappler matchup olenek unfortunately had to pull out through to injury Sergei spivak was brought in as his replacement And just a few hours after that greg hardy tweeted on instagram hey i've done some damage to my finger i'm going to be out of that card as well at the time we record this spivak is still on the card unfortunately it's against a opponent to be announced let's just talk about some of the some of the fights that fell through here where were you personally leaning towards first off with ellenic versus greg hardy and then the subsequent replacement
0: Man, I don't even know how to wrap my head around Olenek versus Greg Hardy. I mean, you said classic striker versus grappler. I don't know if you could say that because this that's a fight that is just so weird and unique to 2022 MMA. Um, I mean, honestly, I think I would probably lean towards Olenek because he, he's – still really durable like he's not a guy you're gonna knock out with like one shot he you have to hurt him and then swarm him with offense you have to stay safe from that takedown and i just feel like greg hardy is bound to make some stupid mistake get tied up and get submitted with uh, an ezekiel choke in a hilarious fashion so it's a damn shame we missed out on that one and i was even more confident in sergey spivak honestly because um, Sergey is a good wrestler when he has the game plan to. Sometimes he gets in his mind that he's, you know, a good striker, and he is kind of slow and plodding on the feed. He likely would have gotten outstruck and landed some, uh, you know, got bombed on by some big punches by Hardy there, um, but. When he comes in with a wrestling game plan, like he did against Tai Tuivasa, he is happy to play that role of spoiler and to grapple, to hit takedowns. I think he took down Jared Vandera, he took down uh, Carlos Felipe in one rounds, and you know almost finished both of those guys. He did finish Vandera. So like when he gets on top, he can smash with ground and pound. He can go for submissions. He did against Tai. So I think he would have comfortably outgrappled Greg Hardy if that fight ever happened. What about you?
1: I personally lean in board. I think that. I would have favoured Spivak's chances uh, against Greg Hardy than I would have done Olenek. I disagree with you in terms of durability, though. I've seen Alexi take a lot of, a lot of shots, especially in these last, last couple of fights. The Tom Aspinall one is one that sort of sticks in my mind, where maybe he could have taken those big shots two or three years ago, but I think it's reached a stage where his age is starting to catch up with him, and I think that if Greg Hardy was to connect... And we know that Greg Hardy can blitz people very easily in the fight. I could have seen him get the win. I know there's a mm-hmm. lot of conspiracy theorists out there saying that Greg Hardy intentionally injured himself to try and uh, get out of the fight against Olinick because he feared the wrestling. I don't personally believe that one myself. I'm not too uh, conspiratorial as it were. I I put, right
0: th- put it at 30%. 30% that that happened. So I'll give him, I'll give him the, the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not ruling it out.
1: Very nice (laughs) diplomatic answer there, John. (laughs) So Spivak at the moment is still remaining on the card. Is there anyone who you could maybe see him being paired up against? Is there someone you want to see him fight?
0: Man, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll get some, you know, uh, you know, chubby guy to fill in there. They don't have to cut, cut much weight. How about we offer Jake Collier? You know, maybe, uh, you know, he just smashed Chase Sherman last night, uh, didn't take any damage whatsoever. So if he wants to take the, the turnaround and get another paycheck, uh, give it to the, my man Jake Collier.
1: Probably Jake Collier's best performance in the UFC in this sort of second run of his career.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, how could you not like this guy? Uh, I mean, he he got robbed against Carlos Felipe. He should be on a three-fight win streak, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm cool with giving it to my man Collier.
1: Would you put him in your boy stable?
0: He's getting up there. I mean, you know, he's very it seems a bit unsustainable that he can continue with this with this run because I mean, he's just so obese. We saw this guy at middleweight. We know that he could probably get back down to that frame, but he's just like, "Yeah, I'm I'm cool fighting at 265. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not changing anything up." So
1: I've heard people describe him as a reverse cannoneer. Yep.
0: That's uh that's good. They they look a little different, but yeah,
1: I think that's a good good comparison. So, so I was going to say Jay Collier there. So, Sergei Spivak is looking for a last-minute replacement. One guy who did get himself a last-minute replacement is fight number three on our card. Michel Pereira is remaining on this fight card. He is taking on a UFC newcomer, which is Paolo Fialo, a former alumni of the PFL. He's also fought in Bellator time and again. Um, he's most memorable, though, for his knockout of James Vick on the ex card last year. Four wins in 2021. He gets a call to the UFC on short notice. This is going to be... Well, we all know what Michelle Pereira can potentially do if he's let loose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good decision. I hope they keep this fight in the main card because um, Pereira is just like the perfect guy to put on the main card. I mean, you want... Uh, exciting, you know, not necessarily the, the the greatest technical or, you know, boring fighters. You want exciting personalities on the main card. And obviously, Michelle Pereira has that, the dancing, the break dancing, the backflips, the crazy techniques that he loves to throw. Um, so I don't have a problem with Fial being on the main card because even though he's like a short-notice UFC debutant, um, I just think that Michel Pereira deserves to be on the main card. So hopefully they keep this one there. I haven't really done too much tape on filiaga yet so i don't have you know strong opinions on him but like you said four knockouts in 2021 the guys clearly uh you know earned his spot uh also knocked out two ufc vets james vick and stefan sekulich in his most recent fight so um you know nice to see the guy getting a chance in the ufc in terms of like technical analysis i don't have too much on this one yet you'll have to check back on my podcast at the end of the week to get um some more technical analysis but what are you thinking for this one carl
1: Personally, I'm gonna to lean towards. It's a strange one when it comes to Pereira. Pereira's normally a guy who I, who I would back against when it comes to sort of like putting my money on it because we know he's talented. We know he's got the great spinning techniques. We know that his striking can be on point. But there's this tendency to play the showman. There's this tendency to just get a little bit too carried away. I thought we actually started seeing Pereira turn a corner. I watched that fight against Imodayev, and he definitely rained back a lot of the clownishness about his display. And he put on one of his best performances in the UFC. And then with the Nicole Price fight, which we have to remember, Conor McGregor undercard, big spotlights, big uh, sort of pedestal for him. We went back to the clowning, we saw the spin, we saw like the flip into mount, and as we saw against Tristan Connolly, a guy who Exuded too much energy early on in the fight, gassed out, and very nearly lost that fight. He ended up getting the decision up against Nico Price. He needs to be very, very careful about how carried away he gets. If he stays complacent, and he stays intelligent, like he did for the most part against Diego Sanchez, like he did against Emidaev, it should be a walk in the park for him.
0: Yeah I I do agree with that sentiment um you know Nico Price round 3 got really hairy he uh he did lose round three on all three scorecards and round two was a close round. He, he technically got away with an illegal strike combining buying that jumping backflip. I mean, he did kick Nico price in the head, which should have been a kick to a, a, a kick to the head of a grounded opponent, but the referee just let him get mountain and changed the entire round. So, um, yeah, I mean, replay that fight 10 times. I'm, I think that Pereira could lose that fight, you know, three or four of those times. So, uh, you know, he did get away with a win there, but it wasn't an extremely impressive performance uh, from Nico Price's or from uh, Pereira in that price fight. Um, so. Prayer is a three to one favorite in the in the betting line to this one. So it seems like it's pretty confident. I don't know, though. feelout uh, you know, he's a, a hungry, aggressive guy. He's got knockout power. He's knocked out several opponents in a row. He's getting the opportunity of a lifetime here. I don't I wouldn't sleep on feel out here. Um, I think that he, you know, he could be a live dog, maybe a live knockout underdog uh, bet for for the main card here.
1: 11 of 14 wins by knockout for Andre Um, As you mentioned before, great winning streak on the regional scene, fought in the PFL as well. Um, I did make a couple of notes. I watched, went back and watched a couple of his fights, watched the Games Vic fight, watched some of his appearances in the PFL. The great, the best thing I've noticed about Thielo is he is a great counter-striker. So if we do have Pereira, who is gunning forward, trying to make this this sort of flashy spectacle fight, which we know he has a tendency to want to. Uh, We could see Philo having a lot of success with that. Um, There are some issues with defence. He ate a lot of head kicks up against James Vick. Vick's never been known as a great head kicker, so that's maybe a concern for me. And another big concern is, even though he has a lot of knockout wins on his record, and he does carry a lot of power, he often waits a little bit too long for the perfect punch. And you sometimes get frustrated that you just see him holding back, holding back. And when he does connect, it works. We've seen that plenty of times. But I think he needs to be quite open. Hopefully, with the way that Pereira fights, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to counter. But if not, we could see him get teed off, especially early in the match.
0: Yeah, that, that's a possibility. But even when Pereira has, you know, he's had a close striking Fights is chaos williams i mean that fight really could have gone either way um pereva does have some key wrestling too that he mm. can lean on to make this fight you know go in his favor too so look out for those takedowns
1: i was surprised by that i went back and i watched a couple of uh, Pereira's fights he's a pretty solid grappler
0: yeah, and he knows how to hit takedowns. He knows when to hit them, too, which is pretty big. I think that's bigger than, you know, his actual skill. He knows, oh, close round, anybody's round, one minute left, I'll shoot a takedown, I'll ice that round. So, you know,
1: the guy's smarter than he, he you know, probably gets credit for. And durable as well. 11 losses, 8 come by decision, so it's a very hard guy to finish.
0: Yeah, that is true. Um, but, you know, it, it shows that he, you know, he could lose rounds as well, so um, look out for that one. It's a fun fight, honestly. You know, I, I uh, Like I said, I haven't done full tape study on Fila, so I'm a bit underprepared here, but still looking forward to this one regardless.
1: I think it's going to be interesting. I would favor Pereira to win this one. I think he will... I, I'm going to say second-round knockout for Michel Pereira. I just think he's maybe going to overwhelm uh, Fila a little bit. Obviously... Uh, first fight in the UFC, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, which I think be might come back to haunt him. There's some fighters who relish the big occasion and really sort of jump up mm-hmm. to another level. We saw that with Chris Curtis in some of his performances, especially at 268. And there's other guys who, they become sort of shrinking violets when they get those sort of big spotlights on top of them, the, first, the sort of like octagon jitters. I've got the feeling we're going to be seeing mm-hmm. that side of Fear Law over the former. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go with uh, Pereira by decision. Yeah. So we have talked about uh, our welterweight third fight there, which is Andrea Filo versus Michelle Pereira. It's time for us to talk about our first UFC title fight of 2022. And we're going to the smallest weight class in the men's division of the UFC. And it's a fight that we've seen two times already. Brandon Moreno, the new... UFC flyweight title champion I should say he is taking on the guy who he beat to win that belt back in June Davison Figueredo so first time in UFC flyweight history we are getting ourselves a trilogy fight at the moment the betting odds have Brandon Moreno as a minus 170 favorite Figueredo comes in a plus 140 the INC poll which we posted earlier today however they're much more one-sided Brandon Moreno 79% to win this one
0: was uh Demetrius Johnson Benavidez a trilogy? But I don't think all three happened in the UFC. But wasn't that a trilogy as well? I think they only had the two fights because it was I the first
1: be. one to crown the inaugural champion. I think that was UFC one fifty two, mm-hmm. and then they had the rematch in the UFC Fox card, and uh, Mighty Mouse won that first round.
0: Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah. Um. But um, I I kind of alluded to this in the the beginning. It is a bit. Hard to get, you know, super amped about this fight because they fought. this is the th- third time in 13 months that it's happened. Each guy has a win, you know. Obviously, it was uh, officially a draw the first time, but let's be real. Dave- Davis and Figueredo won that fight. Um, not really sure what the judges were watching. I think that Figueredo won four rounds one, two, four, and five. Even with the point deduction, he should have won 48 46. Um, but you know, the judges boofed that one badly. And then in the last fight, I mean, uh, obviously, Moreno looked spectacular getting the third round sub. um, But I think Figueredo looked, you know, pretty compromised from the jump, just did not look like his his typical self. Obviously, some of that credit goes to Moreno for shutting him down. But just physically, uh, Figueredo was not there. I mean, this is a guy who was, um, you know. Nearly impossible to submit by Juice for Amiga. Formiga had him in all types of bad positions on the mat, and Fig still was able to stay, you know, defensively sound, not get submitted. And then Moreno was able to, you know, backtake him and submit him quite easily in that fight. I just think the Figueiredo uh wasn't really there for that fight. It wasn't motivated. Um and, you know, now switching up his camp, training that fight ready, training with Suhudo. I think we'll see some good improvements. Uh I remember you know you asked me what improvements we would see from Weili Zhang training with Cejudo and I didn't think much because uh, you know the the Cejudo and Zhang's fighting styles just don't really align too much obviously there's the language barrier there's the the gender barrier but when you're talking about Cejudo who is um, you know a very similar sized fighter to Figueroa, I think that they can really benefit from training with one another so I think we're going to see Figurito in a lot better shape a lot more motivated for this one I've seen a picture of him in camp and he looks absolutely shredded so uh, i think we're going to see a lot more game figurative this time around
1: i think it's quite concerning that i obviously i saw the same picture as you and i agree he looked in absolutely amazing shape but that kind of shape that shredded and you still got to cut another nine pounds um i i personally think that the way cut i mean you've got to bear in mind as well figurative is what 33 34 years old so he's getting on in age when it comes to the flyweight division. And I wonder, is that wake-up becoming too much for him? Because I did believe that the original plan was for him to go up to uh, 135. And then Pantoja ended up getting injured, couldn't take his place in the title fight. And they convinced Figueiredo, hey, we'll give you a title shot, trilogy fight, if you stay back down. Win or lose, I don't see Davison Figueiredo staying at 125 for much longer.
0: Yeah, that's probably right. I mean, he beat Perez, he beat Pantoja, um, Moreno, that, that you know, Chilji settled. He's not going to be like, oh, I'm motivated to fight Askar Askarov. Let me cut that weight and make it back down to 125. Um, I don't think he's going to want any part of that Askarov matchup. So I agree. This is probably the last time we see Figueredo at 125. Um, did Did that caption on the picture say that he weighed like 134? Where did you get that nine pound number from?
1: I believe his his manager said he's got another nine pounds to cut.
0: Mm, okay well I think um I, I don't think that'll be too bad I mean I think this guy was making pretty huge weight cuts in the past and we know that you know muscle it holds more uh, water than than fat does so I think it'll be you know not too difficult for him to cut that because the guy looks like he has like not an ounce of fat on his body so I think we're going to see a bit better weight cut uh you know and you know a bit better energy management that definitely could have played a factor into the, the how badly Figueredo looked last fight a bad weight cut um but what you said is true Figueredo is Is getting up there in age. He's, you know, very experienced. Um, Hasn't taken a whole lot of damage over his career, but I think the weight cut has just depleted that gas tank and that physicality of him a lot. Uh, while Moreno is still, you know, improve, uh, improving, so basically what I'm saying is I think Figueroa might have already hit his ceiling, while Moreno is still on the upward trajectory. He is um, still clearly getting better fight to fight. Um, his athleticism it has not uh, begin to dwindle at all. So. I mean, I think you gotta give the advantage to Brandon Moreno in this one. He's got the momentum. He's got, I think, the the more consistent athleticism. Like, there's there's a very very small chance that Moreno's athleticism is gonna fall off, right? But meanwhile, there is a very real chance that Figueroa is just, you know, kind of permanently damaged. Uh, maybe um, he'll never go back to that that uh, that perfect form, that best form of his, which is probably gonna be uh, in the first Moreno fight or maybe the uh, the benavidez fights or uh the the uh pantoja fight he looked incredible in um but you know there's a real concern about you know which which version of these guys is going to show up and with moreno you have a lot less to be concerned about uh on the the side
1: and the other thing as well he has going for him though is confidence as well like the one that always sticks in my mind when i talk about sort of like brandon moreno in the first fight and the second fight It sort of reminds me of Frankie Edgar when he fought BJ Penn. Like, BJ Penn was this legendary figure, unstoppable, the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. The first fight, Frankie had the attitude of, I think I can win. The second time around, which was a much more one-sided fight, I know I can win. And I think that's what we're going to see from Brandon Moreno. And we saw that in the, the first fight as well. He maybe was a little bit nervous of Figueredo's power. But I think once he started to settle into that fight. He ended up coming back into it, and we had that fight of the year candidate between the two. Second time around, he had the confidence. Yes, Figueredo had a lot of issues with the wear cut, and I do think that Figueredo was uh, depleted, and I think that played a big factor in his performance. But you can't take anything away from Brandon Moreno. He looked a step above what we saw at 256. Whether or not he's going to make another big jump in improvement, I'm not 100% sure it's like my money would go towards brandon moreno if i was pressed but we have seen if Davison figueredo can get the rate cut right like he did against joe benavides like he did against alex perez he is more than capable of finishing finishing this fight i would argue a 100% figueredo is a much more dangerous finisher than what brandon moreno is
0: yeah I, i agree with that um And, you know, Figueroa wasn't able to finish the first uh, the first fight, even though he was, you know, beat Moreno up for the the stretches of that fight. Um, But Moreno is just inhumanely tough. So I I feel like um, I feel like he's not going to get a finish here. He's going to really need to to be patient to win the win the rounds here to win three out of five rounds to win this decision because i just you know think it might be damn near impossible to finish Moreno at this point the guy is so durable but figurator digs to the body really well he has great attritional tools like that um i think the leg kick for both guys is going to be a big factor here you know who can get that leg kick going and limit the mobility of one another and um you know, shutting down the grappling, Figueredo, uh previously had, you know, really solid takedown defense. He was hard to hold down, but Moreno was able to get him down in that last fight, and... Uh you know, hopefully maybe training with uh, Cejudo has got that takedown defense a bit better on point for Figueredo this time around. And, um, you know, I'll definitely be picking Moreno, you know, as a straight up pick. I think he's just the easier pick to make here um, with the momentum being on his side with him winning the last fight. But, you know, I'll definitely be cheering for Figueredo. I do like Figueredo more out of the two, although, you know, I have very high opinions of Moreno. Um, but I would like to see Figueredo get that that win back Um you know, a part of me feels like a, a little annoyed that we're having to see this fight for a third time. Like I said, I did score the first fight for Figueredo four rounds to one, and now because of judging, uh, because the judges, you know, don't know how to watch fights, uh, we're now having to see this fight for a third time in 13 months, and it's, you know, it, it's kind of a waste of both guys' time. I think that we could have move, uh, moved on to, you know, more interesting original matchups, uh, but we're having to see this fight over and over again, so um, the the odds have, uh, you know, Moreno at um, around 63% for this one. And it's crazy to see the odds shift around here. I mean, the first fight, Figueroa was like a 75% favorite, uh, maybe even higher than 75%. Second time, he was only a uh, the same odds as Moreno this time. He was only like... Maybe 63%, 65%. And now he's going to the underdog at 40%. So the odds are going all over the place. Um, last December, he was 75%. This January, he's um, you know down to 40%. So the odds just had a massive shift in this fight. So I think if you're betting this one, I think Figueredo as the underdog is probably the bet to make. Um and uh, you know, I'm still I'm still looking forward to the fight. I'm still interested to see how it plays out. Um, but I'm definitely not you know you know vividly or over the top excited for this one. I don't think you really
1: can be. I mean, we've seen it two times already. And I think as well, someone made this comment to me on one of the uh, social media platforms, and I just want your opinion on this one. Would you say this is the golden age of flyweight? Like bearing in mind where the flyweight division once was, where the UFC were looking to try and cut it, Mighty Mouse this overly dominant, not especially marketable champion, and the UFC was starting to cut people, they cut Moreno, Dustin Ortiz, all these sort of names were getting shuffled out the UFC. To go from that to what we're seeing now, where not only have you got Moreno and Figueiredo, but you've also got Kai Kara France, Oscar Asker Askarov, Alexander Pantoja, Brandon Royval, is this the best the flyweight division has ever been in the UFC?
0: I think I would lean towards like the 2014, 2015, 2016 era. Um, you know, the amount of really good guys that were on the roster back then that have kind of flown under the radar. Zach Makovsky, Dustin Ortiz, John Moraga, John Dodson. Um, you know, it really was a special division back then. It just Yeah, John Lindker, of course. I mean... Uh, I think it really flew under the radar back then uh, because Demetrius Johnson was just so dominant at the top. Um, but I mean, you could you could have you can match up any two guys in that division, and they would produce an exciting fight. Now I feel like um, you know the top ten is in a really good spot. Um, so a lot of interesting fights: uh, Askarov, Kaikar, France, Pantoja. Um, we saw Roy Val and Bontorin have a fun fight last night. I just feel like that the the gap between and this is a problem with all divisions. The gap between the top ten and the rest of the division is really widening, and um, you know, I think that. Uh, we're not going to see a whole lot of guys like outside the top 15 break into the top 10. That's just going to be the same guys kind of cycling over and over and over again for the next few years. So I still love the flyweight division um, and it's in a, good, a better place than it was uh, back in 2018, 2019. But I don't think it's at its all-time best.
1: It's time for us to talk about our main event of the evening. It is the heavyweight title on the line. Some people are calling it the most eagerly anticipated heavyweight fight. Since Lesnar versus Carwin, your mileage may vary on whether or not you agree with that one, but it's Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Garn. so champion versus interim champion, the first unbeaten fighter to challenge for a UFC heavyweight title since Cain Velasquez versus Brock Lesnar. But for a lot of people, the bigger argument, the bigger sort of feud going into this fight, isn't Ngannou versus Garn. it's Francis Ngannou versus Dana White and the UFC. Yeah, and I don't think I agree with
0: the most eagerly anticipated. I mean, you're a little bit better with like the, you know, the history than I am, but I mean, I think like Stipe DC1 it was more, you know, anticipated than this one, honestly. Um, Gan is, you know, still fairly new to the UFC, obviously only been in the the organization for 2 to 3 years, and his, you know, decision-heavy style I don't think attracts as many fans as he deserves. And obviously you have uh, the Ngannou versus UFC battle, as you mentioned, taken away from the fight a little bit. Um obviously Francis is talking about getting better pay there's some you know conflict going on with who's H- H- manager and the UFC and them not getting along and you know all the power to Francis he definitely deserves more than he's getting and uh you know a big fuck you to every person who is responding to these articles responding to these comments like oh Francis should manage his money better he shouldn't he's asking for more than 500k 500k is good pay i mean those people are such morons um and and Ghana and was completely right to be asking for more money. Um, you got guys like Dillian White, um, uh, Pavetkin, and all these dudes in, in boxing who are like not top five you know not popular guys in boxing and they're still making three five seven million dollars a fight in in boxing and Ngannou is you know the most popular heavyweight in the UFC right now just knocked out the undisputed champion one of the biggest freak athletes of the of his generation and he's you know fighting for 500,000 so the guy has a completely uh, legitimate beef and uh you know I kind of I kind of hope Ngannou wins just to see what happens with the whole conflict between the two
1: and Francis Ngannou winning this fight is not the foregone conclusion that a lot of people believe it is. Because I'm actually looking at some of the betting odds and the polls which are coming out here. Uh, Cyril Garn is a minus 125 favorite. You can get Francis Ngannou at even odds right now. And in the INC poll, uh, Cyril Garn 61%, Francis Ngannou 39%. Which bearing in mind, Cyril Garn only made his MMA debut in 2018. He's had 10 fights in the UFC. And he's the bookmaker's favorite, or probably the scariest knockout artist that we've ever seen. It, it, I think, it just goes to show that there is a lot of people buying into the civil guard story right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, a lot of people will probably be surprised to see that he's the underdog, and gain has gotten a lot of action in the past few weeks. At one point, this line uh, was a pick'em; they were at fifty-fifty, pretty much. And um, you know, over the weeks, just people betters, excuse me, the market has been, you know, really just uh, steaming and Cyril gone, and uh, they're pretty confident in the Frenchman here. Uh, obviously, these two uh, both used to train together. There's some video of them training together. I don't think that video, you know, bears too much weight. I mean, Francis Ngando is like impossible to be good in sparring honestly like the dude is so reliant on his athleticism and power and like if Rosenstrike and Ngannou sparred Rosenstrike would probably like 50 45 him no no lie but the fight when they're fighting for real obviously Francis Ngannou can do the windmill punch and knock him stiff in 20 seconds we call so it, it it's the Julia different uh, uh you know Oh yeah, right. I think that's a little disrespectful to Juliana. She was she was working that jab a lot, a lot better than uh, Ngannou was. Um, but uh, you know, rewatching the Francis Ngannou versus Stipe two fight from last night, no- uh, I watched it last night actually. I mean, I was kind of Im- impressed with how bad. Uh, or unimpressed, I guess you could say, unimpressed with how badly Stipe looked, honestly. It seemed like from the jump, he was just a bit nervous. Uh, He got hit pretty hard in round one, and his volume just wasn't there. I mean, the man threw eight strikes in round one, the entire round, eight strikes. And he got off to such a fast start against Ngannou the first time, and he got his takedowns going. He rocked Ngannou with some punches. I mean, he really set the the tone in round one last fight. And then the second fight, I mean, he did virtually nothing in round one. And Engano is kind of similar to, uh, to Derek Lewis in the fashion where if you are constantly attacking him, putting volume in his face, he's going to be confused. He's not going to be able to get his burst going, and he's going to be uncomfortable. But if you allow him the distance, the space, the timing to get his own offense going, to time his outbursts of offense, he's going to be deadly. So – I think you can really look at the, the serial gone versus Lewis fight as maybe being a similar outcome here where gain is just given Ngannou so many different looks with the footwork, the kicks, the punches, the different angles that Ngannou is never going to be able to get that, that burst of offense going. But it, it's an interesting fight to, for, for sure. Um, you obviously have, uh, you know, powerhouse versus technician. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. And, um, uh, you know, I'll pass it back to you before I get towards my to my official prediction, but um what do you think about the most anticipated fight, you th- or most anticipated heavyweight fight? You think that's true?
1: I think in terms of marketability, no. Because I think Lesnar versus Carbon was sold in such a great way. Obviously Brock carries a lot of fans over from his pro wrestling days. So the idea of him being out of action for like a good 15-16 months and this knockout artist just flatlining everyone I think it was like 12 wins, 12 first-round knockouts for Shane Carwin. That sold itself going into that fight. So it was like the Powerhouse Wrestler versus the Powerhouse Striker. In terms of intrigue, the elements of the unknown, I think it is up there. Because there's only two ways this fight is going to end. Either Cyril Garn is going to just completely outpoint Francis for 25 minutes and win an easy 50-45. While Francis turns the light off in the first minute. There is no middle ground.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean I I've been thinking about that middle ground a lot because like you said, Engano Everybody knows what his win looks like. It's a knockout, right? The guy cannot win by sub. He cannot win by decision. I mean, it's just not in his nature. I mean, I know he has won by sub before, but it's not happening here. Um, and he's certainly not going to win rounds and win a decision over game. That's like, virtually impossible for Ingano to win a decision. Um, but then you have to wonder, what does a Cirogan win look like? And it could look like what you just described, Carl, a 25-minute outpointing. Um, you know striking clinic put on by by Gain but what i'm wondering is that if if with how explosive and powerful and you know sudden Ingano can be is Gan going to want to keep him around for 25 minutes to to you know just steadily um outstrike him as the fight goes is he going to be comfortable uh you know with I mean, if he's up two or three rounds and Ngannou knows he's losing, I mean, he's going to be going for broke, right? He's going to be swinging as hard as he can. He's going to be trying to get something going. And I just feel like Gain isn't going to want to keep him around to uh, to see to see those bursts come. I feel like Gain might actually have some ambition to get the fight over with before Angano can have that miracle comeback moment. So I think... If you're picking gain, it's got to be a real question of whether uh, you you think he's going to knock him out in later later rounds three four and five, or you think it's going to go the full twenty five minutes because I think the full twenty five minutes, um, even when Inghano is gassed, uh, he's still dangerous. I mean, in the first fight versus Stipe in, in round like four or something like that, he had lost like fifteen minutes in a row, and then out of nowhere, he lands like a big. Punch combination on Stipe, and you know, Stipe backwards. was thankfully able to eat it. But I mean, yeah, right, I remember that one. Um, that, that, uh, I remember it happened, but you, you saying that just kind of made me visualize it again. Um, so I mean, the guy is still dangerous the entire time. Uh, you got to wonder what Gain's strategy is going to be, whether he's going to try to get him out of there, which he very rarely does. I mean, the guy is not a finisher. He, even though he did finish uh, Lewis in his last fight, he's not a finisher intrinsically. So uh, will we see any grappling from Gain? Will he maybe get his top game going, look to win some rounds that way? It's really interesting to think about this one.
1: Good thing you brought up the grappling because I was just about to ask you about that. Do we dare see Cyril Garn maybe try and utilize some wrestling in this match? Um, I know a lot of people may be sort of erring against that because obviously we heard the sprawl heard around the world when he ended up uh, stuffing Stipe's first takedown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was something that I think Francis's team prepped for. They knew that Stipe was going to utilise a wrestling heavy game because of what happened in the first fight. They are maybe not expecting it from Cyril Garn this time around. So if Garn does get the takedown and manages to get Francis flat on his back, could we maybe see Sybil finding some success there? Because he's a pretty underrated grappler. We saw that once he fought Dante Mays, he ended up finishing that fight with, I think it was a knee bar.
0: Yeah, yeah, or a heel hook or something. Yeah, um, I, it's interesting. I don't think we're going to see a conventional, you know, leg takedown from gain here. He's not going to hit a single leg, double leg or anything like that. I think we could see like a trip from the clinch or maybe a caught kick or something. But uh, I don't think we see any, like, you know, conventional takedowns. That was hilarious. You said the sprawl heard around the road. That was definitely the most emphatic sprawl in MMA history. Like, when everybody who, like, bet Stipe or was cheering for Stipe, once they saw that, they were like, fuck. Like, they just knew something bad was happening. Not only did he sprawl he beautifully turned around to the side and started landing some punches. I mean, it was all over for Bay after that point. It was just inevitable. Um, so I don't think we see any, you know, regular takedowns like like Bay went for. Um, but, you know, imagine... Um, Imagine Ngano swinging that big combination. Cyril ties him up. You know, he's holding his arms. Maybe he hits a little outside trip or, you know, maybe he hits a little like sweep of some sort uh, and gets Ngano down to the mat. I don't think he's going to submit Ngano. I just think Ngano is too explosive to, you know, get caught with anything. Um, But uh, it's possible.
1: I would say it's unlikely that we see any grappling here, though. And if you have to put your money where your mouth is, who are you going to pick for this one?
0: Yeah, I think I'll be picking gain. I think I gotta go with the uh, the technician, the the better skilled fighter here. Um, you know, I'm always gonna lean on that side of technique and skill, and you know, uh, possibly intelligence over athleticism. And uh, but this is as dangerous as it gets for athleticism because. Um, you know, Ngannou is just so explosive. There's such a difference in in firepower difference. Uh, you know, the punch power between these two guys is just night and day different, despite them being in the same weight class. And, um, you know, it, it's entirely possible that Ngannou hits one of those those strike esque crazy bursts that clips gain and sends him out cold. But um, I just think that... Uh, you know, Gain has proven enough. He's he's very proven over the five rounds. His cardio, his output is really good. And at his best, I think um, he can really give ingano some some problems here. The big cage is going to be a big factor. I meant to say this earlier, but the part of the reason why Engano looked his all-time best versus Tipe could have been the small cage, right? I mean, that's a a thirty percent smaller cage uh, than the regular one, um, and in that big cage in Anaheim is just going to give Gain a lot more movement, a lot more area to to get that movement, that elusive footwork going, and Engano is going to tire out he's going to get uh confused he's going to run out of ideas and i think he might even get frustrated to the point where he kind of wilts and maybe gets finished in these later rounds here so i think i'll pick i think i'll pick that because i just can't see gain sticking him around for 25 minutes uh leaving that possibility of that knockout happening so i'll go with the gain fourth round
1: knockout that's a big call to go for the knockout um i would personally lean towards decision um mainly because i think that I think if Cyril Garn gets himself like a a 3 or 4-0 lead, I just don't see him wanting to do anything that may potentially put him in danger. So I can maybe see him coasting to try and get the easy sort of 25-minute judge's decision. Um, I do agree with you, though. I think there's a lot of people underestimating the idea of Francis Ngannou getting finished by Cyril Garn. Especially if Francis starts getting a bit reckless, like you maybe insinuated. And obviously, bearing in mind what's happening with the UFC, Francis does have a tendency to get a little bit emotional, let outside influences affect him. Maybe we could see that in this fight. What this is basically to me, someone made a great boxing analogy. This is Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, I, I like that comparison a lot. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, it's that's the exact same uh, scenario I was talking about. Power puncher versus technician. And, you know, that that is a good comparison. Um, quick look at the odds, though. Gain decision is plus 360, while gain knockout is only plus 230. So at those odds, I think that you, you're better off taking a stab at the decision and, you know, holding your breath for 25 minutes. Because gain knockout at plus 230 only only i don't i don't think those odds are good enough um i i would rather t- take some stabs in the later knockout props like three four five knockout for gain because i don't i don't see gain finishing him in the early rounds at all
1: the way i'm interpreting the ufc contract it's that if you are a reigning champion you automatically get another fight added onto the deal so if francis Ngannou wins this fight he will we will be seeing him in the ufc again but if francis loses is this the last time we see him in the octagon
0: Um, I'll go with, I'll go with yes. Um, I just don't think there's a whole lot for him left to do, uh, in the UFC, you know, heavyweight division. Uh, I mean, it's extremely thin with contenders now, anyway. I mean, um, outside of these two guys, I mean, who, who are number three and four? Bay and Derek Lewis. And Ingano's fought both those guys already. Um, I don't think he wants to, you know, stick around uh, to fight Aspinall or anything like that. So uh, I think that, yeah, he has bigger fish to fry. I, mean, I think he literally, literally or legitimately could um, make some, some million-dollar paydays with some boxing fights. So I think that, um, yeah, I'll go with uh, – I think it could be win or lose his last fight in the UFC because even if he wins, his contract gets extended, um, but he doesn't necessarily have to fight. So he's either gonna you know have leverage to get paid big and the is probably not gonna do that, so it'll end up just being like a um you know a stall a stalemate, uh a stalemate, and uh Inga- or Dana will just talk shit on Nganu relentlessly
1: for the rest of his career instead of paying him an extra million or two dollars. And if you need another reason to maybe bet box civil Ghan over Francis Nganu, Morning Combat are doing their latest resume review on Francis Ngannou.
0: I saw that. I saw that you're beaking that 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 jinx, and it seems it like it's
1: happened, you know, quite often, right? Um, yeah. I believe every time uh, they who's covered, your pick? Uh, my personal pick. I'm going civil guard by decision for the fight. Uh, but yeah, with Morning Combat, right. every time they covered an MMA fighter. On their resume review, they've ended up losing. So they've done, like, Connor, Adesanya. I think they did Pitbull for the McKee fight. They did one on Canelo, and he ended up winning. But a lot of people are saying, oh, it only counts for MMA fighters.
0: I believe that. So, yeah, I mean, bet the house on gain. I think that's very realistic. And
1: that is, unfortunately, all that we've got time for for our show. Unfortunately, we don't have a full Five Fight main card. Um, Hopefully, John will obviously cover that one when it comes to doing his uh, preview show with Ozzy. If people want to hear you tune in and hear what you have to say about Sergei Speedback potentially and his short short notice for placement, Hmm. where is the best place for them to uh, see you, John?
0: Yeah, you can my man Ozzy. You can find us at uh, Martian MMA on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, all the major platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. That's my handle, um, and I you know send out a lot of tweets there about all different kinds of things related to the mma world so uh make sure you're following me and uh thanks again to carl for having me always love doing these inc live preview shows and i'm sure i'll be back for ufc 271 as well so i'll see you all before then and thank you all for listening
1: yes ufc 271 is just around the corner we'll be covering that one in two or three weeks time I've lost track of what the days are like over in January. Uh, once again, if you want to get in touch with us here at INC, we're available on Instagram at It's Not Cage Fighting, uh, Twitter, It's IN Cage Fighting, and we've also got our Patreon page if you want to support us in any way. It's one of the big reasons why we've been able to get the brand new graphics package involved, so a big thank you to everybody who's been supporting the channel. Thank you as well for tuning in to the INC Preview Show. John, I know your beloved Eagles are going to be competing in the uh, NFL playoffs, so I'll let you get to that. Uh, until then, though, this has been the INC Live USC 270 Preview Show. That, uh, that's been John Martian. I've been Carl Bainbridge. Enjoy the fights.